From Vine Pairs New York City headquarters, I'm Joanna Sherino. And in Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Jabal. And this is the Vine Pair Podcast, Friday edition. We are sadly without Adam this week. Yeah, he's sadly on vacation. He is sadly traveling <laughs> to sunny Puerto Rico. Mm-hmm. Well, we're sad to be missing him again. Yeah, our condolences, Adam. Yeah. I'm so sorry for you. <laughs> but that won't stop us, right, Zach? Definitely not. Yeah. So, what have you been? Uh, what have you been reading recently? You know, as of uh, whenever we had this nice run on on the site of uh, articles popping up that just bring several things I love together. And so, um, the the most recent example of this is uh, Pete O'Connell's piece, Duff Beer's Rocky Road from the Simpsons to the Real World. And I will be completely honest, mm-hmm. definitely don't feel like. Uh, in all my years of watching The Simpsons, which go back a long time because I'm old, mm-hmm. I never was like, man, if only Duff were a real beer. So, you know, interesting to, you know, read about the sort of like very <laughs> various attempts to bring something that is uh, maybe maybe IP infringement, maybe not to to life or into reality. It's very <laughs> uh it's just a fun story. And like, again, it's some, a little bit of this, like who exactly was looking for this. Obviously there is innumerable real world Simpsons merchandise and various, you know, branded things you can purchase. I have, I am mildly ashamed to admit this, have purchased and played more than one Simpsons video game in my <laughs> life. So, you know, there's that, but just, you know, just like a fun little, little thing. Right. I, don't, I, I, you know, maybe one day I'll try and find one of these and taste them. Although I can't claim to be super, uh, super enthusiastic about drinking it. I don't know. What about you, Joanna? What, what, uh, what caught your fancy on the site recently? <laughs> yeah, no, we've, um, we've had a lot of great stuff published on the site. Um, but what I wanted to talk about today was our YouTube page. What? Because we've been publishing a bunch of really great uh, whiskey reviews from a contributor, David Thomas Tao. And those are really great. And we recently, this past week, started publishing some wine reviews from tastings director Keith Beavers. You all know him from Wine 101. He's great. So everyone should go and check those out. Obviously, Tap Lines, our uh, podcast with Dave and Fonte, also publishes on our YouTube page. Um, but yeah, I feel like YouTube is back, people. Or maybe it was never gone for anyone <laughs> but me um but yeah some lots a uh, lot of fun stuff there yeah definitely uh what do the kids say like comment subscribe yes go subscribe please <laughs> oh man and you know johanna it's very funny we do this sometimes with our episodes where we look at you know we're talking about what we want to talk about and there is a, a piece on the site and we both chose not to mention it because it's the topic for today but yeah. <laughs> it is just like a perfect uh, springboard for our conversation. And today that piece is uh, something that Dylan Ettinger wrote called Artificial Accounts and Bogus Bottles. Social media has a problem with whiskey scammers. Great article, very fun. Well, I don't know, fun, but interesting. <laughs> and this really interesting look at this sort of bizarre world of these, you know, social media scams. So Jen, I mean, can you kind of give listeners who haven't read the piece yet and shame on you all go read it now yeah. <laughs> uh, a little bit of background on this story and kind of because it's it's an interesting piece for us too because you know Dylan talks about his own experience with this which is you know really kind of think, I think what helps make the piece so captivating yeah so Dylan um, I would say is a whiskey enthusiast personally and it was brought to his attention that there was an account purporting to be him 
that had a lot of his photos on it um, and other photos mixed in of like rare, rare bourbons. You know, a lot of the we talk about the bourbon market and and taters quite a bit on the show. But, um, you know, those bottles, a lot of them from Buffalo Trace um, that people covet. And and so basically someone had created an account purporting to be Dylan, uh, basically to show that he was somebody who had partic- not participated in, but purchased bourbon from another account that was like the ringleader of the scam that would try to sell bottles to people, unwitting people on Instagram, um, and then get the money and never actually send the bottles. So they were using Dylan's account to be like a happy customer from this ringleader account. And this is just behavior. These scams are like quite rampant on social media these days. And I think it does play into this whole, you know, more recent culture of of like bourbon, deep, deep bourbon enthusiasm and whiskey enthusiasm that we've seen uh, over the last couple of years. So that's kind of the crux of the piece. It happens quite a bit. It's really hard to track and get to the bottom of and to kind of uh, bust these scammers. Mm-hmm. Social media does not help. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I thought, you know, I think this is a really interesting topic. I imagine it happens quite a bit with uh, other luxury goods as well or things that people want that there is a secondary market for. But yeah, I kind of feel bad for Dylan and everybody. Else. I feel like I know a few people who have gotten scammed like this before. Yeah. And there's like this weird mix of things, right? There's the individual people who are themselves getting scammed. And then there's maybe even the people like Dylan who are, even if they themselves are not being scammed, they're being, you know, there's implicated. Yeah. And there's like an, you know, a gross invasion of privacy where someone is creating an account, not just creating an account using your photos and purporting to be you, which would be deeply upsetting and creepy kind of no matter what, but then doing it for something so nefarious and that could easily damage your own standing within a community that you associate with because, you know, people, if they see this and they're like, well, wait a second, I got scammed by this. Why did you recommend it? It's a lot harder to be like, well, that's not me, even though, yes, those are some photos that I took. But the truth is, is that creating fake accounts is, uh, you know, generally not a difficult task it's so it's so interesting to me there there are a couple things that i really wanted to talk about here and i think one that will i want to push a little bit further back is this conversation about you know why is it that the platforms themselves have seemingly zero interest in doing anything about this and again not not specific to to bourbon or even bevalk fraud but just fraud in general they seem deeply disinterested in getting involved with but i do think that there's an interesting conversation to be had here too about this specific kind of fraud and others that are similar to it where sometimes there's a part of this where it's like, what is the phrase? If it's too good to be true, it probably is. Right. And I think that there is sometimes a thing with these stories where you sort of say like, man, like if someone is telling you they have a bottle that's incredibly difficult to get and they're just a social media account, <laughs> you know, you never want to, well, you never want to blame the person being scammed. Right. But, but at the same time, there, there's a situation, these situations arise and you sort of are like, well, if you take a step back and you change some of the particulars and someone was to- told you they were selling, I don't know, a very hard to obtain, you know, first edition book or a very hard to obtain, I don't know, thing that someone else, you know, handbag or something. 
and it wasn't something that you were personally passionate about, you'd probably be like, yeah, what are the odds that this person who you've never met, who has no tangible presence in the world is actually going to deliver the thing you want. And yet when it comes to things like in this, in these cases, in these circles, rare whiskeys, Mm -hmm. people, people lose their minds because it's like, here's the thing I've been coveting and now I can get it. Well, I think that's interesting because, well, there are resources and well, kind of like resources. And like you mentioned, it's a community of people. And so, you know, part of the story was that there are bourbon reddits and other things where people are like, you know, someone just offered me $200 uh, for a bottle for whatever rare, rare whiskey for $200. Like, is this too good to be true? So like, luckily there are people who are so aware of what's happening in this community that, you know, they're kind of looking out for others. (laughs) But I think there are also plenty of people who uh, don't consult other people and and just yeah they they're just so enticed <laughs> by what you know what is offered to them that they go for it and then end up being you know defrauded or scammed and i think the thing that the other thing about this to be aware of and it was actually not a whiskey or even bevalk piece but there was a recent piece i think in the new yorker about someone being scammed who was trying to get a pool built during covid and (laughs) it was all about zelle right which is this like payment platform that is nominally kind of co-owned by a bunch of banks but none of them have any real legal responsibility for it etc the piece is out there you can go find it but part of what is interesting in this in that piece and that kind of comes back to all of this is that again one of the things that that the that exists now between some of these payment platforms be they you know uh, apps etc or whether it's even you know some of the even sort of let's say shadier world of cryptocurrency and stuff like that is that the downside to the ease of payment and the sort of lack of traceability on this is that you have no recourse right if you are defrauded right i mean that's one of the problems with these kinds of things is once you use one of these apps or whatever to send your money to an account it, it, you know, for the most part, you're kind of shit out of luck if you don't get the thing you wanted or you think you thought you were getting. And, and that can even go beyond just pure outright fraud. But like, let's say someone promised you this bottle and it's like, you know, I don't know, supposed to be unopened. And actually, you know, there's some amount missing or what I mean, like, just there's no, you know, there's no recourse in these things for people. And that that I think can be an easy thing to forget when you are being offered what seems like a great deal. Mm hmm. I also think, and I want your opinion on this, Joanna, like, you know, in the piece, Dylan, you know, chats with a couple of people uh, on the production side about their, you know, sort of whether they feel any, I guess, any obligation to do anything about this. And we've talked on the pod before about it, but about some of what is being done by by whiskey producers, etc. But I'm just curious, like, do you feel like if you're Buffalo Trace or whatever, do you feel some sense of like, hey, we need to try and you know, work to eliminate some of this fraud? Or is it just kind of like, hey, man, once we sell it, it's kind of out of our hands? Yeah, I guess I do feel like how much, you know, what exactly can they do? And apart from just saying, like, please make sure that you're buying these things through the proper, excuse me, proper channels. Um, But there is just such a robust secondary market for all of this stuff that it just seems, it would seem to just be impossible to kind of, control yeah and that's what pretty much what they they said as much right yeah more or less and it's it's one of those things where like there's the forward-looking moves you know things that they're doing to put uh 
you know, sort of various uh, authenticating, right? You know, more, not so much for this kind of fraud where someone says they're going to sell you a thing, takes your money, and then never delivers it, but but other kinds of fraud, you know, filling bo- refilling bottles with cheaper whiskey or things like that. That you know, there are things that can be and are being done by some of these producers to at least on their pre- most premium bottles. The problem, of course, is a lot of times in a lot of cases, this stuff was made you know, 20 years ago or more when it wasn't a prized commodity. And therefore, you know, no one would have thought that there needs to be anything done to verify that these bottles were were real. Right. That's a good point. Or, you know, what they should do, they just make more NFTs. So I so I think that there's there's that. And you're right that, you know, the most that they can most times do is be like, please buy from a verified retailer. Please don't yeah. send a random person on online money for something that you've never seen in person and that you have no idea who that person is. I I also want to wonder a little bit about this of like, this is maybe my like, I don't know, shit stirring side, but like, do you think that if that brands like Buffalo Trace totally hate this kind of story? Like, isn't it kind of a weird kind of good, almost good PR for them that people are so desperate to get their hands on these bottles that they'll like pay a shady online account hundreds of dollars just on the off chance that they get it like no exactly that can't exactly be bad for them (laughs) oh i think it's bad they don't want to be associated with scam and theft and other you know like you said nefarious acts i but don't you think they want to be associated with a kind of you you know so so desirable that people lose all reason like i don't know it feels to me like if you had a product that people were like so like does louis vuitton hate it that there are like louis vuitton knockoff bags everywhere like on the one hand maybe but on the other hand like i don't know like doesn't it help sort of cement the the appeal of the brand when you actually can afford it i don't know Uh, i don't know it's a good question because then you think of the other part of this which is like um selling bottles that have lesser liquid in it you know and then those bottles out are exist out there and they're not the true product, and then that's a reflection on the product to a certain extent. I don't know. Maybe, like you said, it doesn't matter. I I, I think it's kind of maybe almost like a double-edged sword here, right? Yeah. Where on the one hand, any benefit you are deriving in some sort of, you know, tangential way from this air of exclusivity and, you know, extreme desire for these products is your right maybe cut against by the fact that if what people are actually purchasing in the cases where they're getting not you know, getting fraudulent bottles is liquid that is not as good. And therefore they're like, oh, I spent all this money on this, you know, supposedly great bottle and it wasn't that, it wasn't great. Then maybe it does, does hurt the the long-term viability of the, or not the viability, but it hurts maybe some of the reputation, the and reputation you're right yeah. in, in some of your skepticism about it in that like, yeah, it's probably not great for some of these brands to be associated with uh, illicit acts, even if, you know, they have maybe, some element of like also there's an appeal to them through that but i just i wonder too about this whether you know you t- you mentioned how in the piece dylan talks about some of the sort of almost vigilante not justice but like the vigilante community support that exists yeah. out there ways to sort of pick out these things do you think the industry more broadly could get involved in that like could Buffalo Trace say invest some resources into like trying to identify some of these accounts and you know they probably have more weight with you know Instagram as a a large company than an individual person saying hey I got defrauded by this account it does seem like if they wanted to 
and thought it was viable, they could, I'm not saying they have to spend, you know, millions upon millions of dollars of this, but, but they could perhaps do something to, to support those, that community to sort of push back against the sort of reticence of these various platforms to, to moderate any of this kind of content or behavior. I don't know. It's, it, it, it's something to think about at least. I wouldn't be surprised if that didn't exist and maybe we're just not aware of it. If you know anything, people, please uh, yeah. podcast at vinepower.com. If you work for one of these uh, big distilleries or companies and you are like, hey, we're actually doing this, we would, I think we'd probably love to know about that and maybe talk about it, write about it, et cetera. Cause, cause yeah, it's obviously a case where I think uh, potentially the industry and consumer interests are aligned. No one really, especially this kind of fraud, no one wants this out there. And again, like I said, I think, you know, these companies are going to carry more weight when they go to Meta or whomever and say, hey, look, you know, can you do more than nothing about this? Because right now it seems like you're doing nothing. Yeah. It's so funny. I was actually having a conversation about like whiskey scammers and scams recently with a contributor and who wasn't Dylan. And um, we were talking about how like there, there are so many different types of scams that happen. Obviously, like a few are talked about in Dylan's piece, but we, this contributor and I were talking about how even among whiskey people, there are like weird scams that they you know, voiced on their on their own friends to say like, here are samples or here are samples. Uh, and he also mentioned that there was what there was a coach of some basketball team that used to give or a football team that used to give like pours of Pappy after every win. Huh. And they found out that like years later, it wasn't really Pappy. Hmm. Do, do you know, I don't this? know this story? No, <laughs> sounds fascinating. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm unfamiliar with it. But kind of this idea that like, the world of whiskey has reached this point where there's this prestige and reputation associated with it with having access to certain certain brands and certain bottles that you would like lie to your <laughs> lie to even your friends not quite as you know awful of a scam as some of these other things where people are actually losing money um but but yeah to you know kind of still kind of sad when you think about it yeah and you know, it's interesting that you mentioned the the sort of, let's say, maybe contentious relationship that some of these people within these communities have with one another. Um, because I was going to say the other issue with relying on a certain kind of community enforcement and protection from this kind of fraud is like, what happens if one of those people decides that, you know what, I got a scam I want to run and I've built up all this goodwill. Like, again, it's not to say that anyone is doing that. I have no idea. But I do know that, like, you know, the the broader kind of meta narrative here is like we are in this world where with so much commerce being conducted online and in a lot of ways sort of between not like you go to a very established online retailer and purchase a thing and it gets delivered to your house, but then a like either sort of person to person or like, you yeah. know, it's, it's a person to business, but like maybe that business is small and or like may or may not really exist. And like when there's so little, you know, if you, it's not to say that fraud didn't exist before the internet. Obviously it did. And there were right. all kinds of scams running from, you know, mail order fraud to phone fraud to like, I don't know, like you sold like defective merchandise out of your storefront or door to door or whatever. But like, it, it, there is a way in which this kind of fraud being so 
you know, for lack of a better word, put it kind of like ephemeral because nothing is tangible and you don't even see a product you know you go to a liquor right. store and we've talked we've talked about these things or a, or an auction and you buy what turns out to be a fraudulent bottle of whiskey well you might have some recourse that business does have a generally a physical presence and you know you may or may not get the kind of satisfaction you want but at least there's something you could do and here it's like everything is just so ephemeral and yet you're still hoping for it to end in a tangible bottle of whiskey that you can I don't know, drink or put on your shelf or, you know, sell again yourself or something like that. And I don't have a point here other than just to kind of ruminate (laughs) on the fact that this is a weird place for what is, you know, it's like a weird thing with with drinking, right? Because we we look at these products as such a, you know, physical experience, right? We talk about how they taste and smell and what, you know, to some extent what they, you know, the effects they have on your body. And yet with so much of it happening, not just the just the purchasing of, but in a lot of ways, just like the kind of culture around it being largely online or or heavily online, it is a weird. I don't know. It's just weird. That's all I got. It's Friday. I'm not, I don't have a coherent <laughs> thought here, but you all got to listen to me ramble. No, no, I agree with you. I think it's like everyone is so not performative, but like there seems to be more pressure these days to kind of show what you have were very online, like that didn't exist before. So there's so much more um, visibility into people's lives and what they have and what they don't. And then I feel like these people who are doing these scams are just taking advantage of that. Totally. Totally. Yeah. And, and again, there's that last piece of it. And this comes back to sort of the, where I, the thing I wanted to talk about and, and I recognize off the top that, there is very little that I would ever expect from any of these um, platforms or providers to do about mm-hmm. any of this. Um, you know, there's just, they're just not interested. Uh, you know, I'm not a, I don't design apps. I don't do, you know, information security. So I have no idea whether the things that they say they can't do are in fact just, they don't want to do because it's expensive or they think it'll add their liability or whatever. But what I was going to say is with so many of these platforms being more and more centered around trying to monetize your experience by not just selling you or showing you sponsored ads and stuff, but in a lot of ways trying to allow you to make purchases within these apps. Yeah. It does create this world where, again, there's just like, it's easier and easier to see a kind of erosion of the sort of common sense safeguards we ourselves might put in place for you know, like trying to avoid getting scammed, right? In the same way that, I don't know, you go to out on the corner of, you know, a Times Square corner in New York and someone's trying to sell you a Rolex for $30, like you're probably going to be like, mm, yeah, that that's probably not <laughs> what I'm buying here. Um, and, you know, when you purchase it and it turns out that, uh, you know, the Rolex, uh, the word Rolex is spelled differently than the way the brand is and you know, whatever, all these things are going on. You kind of are like, if you're surprised by that, then I don't know what to tell you. Probably don't go to Times Square. Uh, yeah. <laughs> in any case, I, but I think with 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 it being online and, and attached to our phone, it's something that we can access and do kind of almost any time with very few limitations and very few kind of, I don't safeguards. know. Like, yeah, safeguards and just kind yeah. of, and when so much of our money and our purchasing is done in this way that we never, you know, we never touch the currency, we never really see it, it happens seamlessly, and then it's suddenly a line item on our credit card or a deduction from our save, a checking account or whatever. Um, 
I think it, in, it makes this kind of fraud easier to perpetrate because yes. it, it sort of steps inside our, our guards, our boundaries as, as consumers, because it, it, on the face of it, it doesn't seem any different than purchase, buying something online or sending a friend money using an app or whatever, right? It kind of feels in line with those things. Whereas if someone was like, okay, here's the way I want you to pay me. I want you to go to your bank and get a certified check and mail it to me. A person might be like, wait a second, what? Like, how does this, how yeah. is this a, this seems like a bad idea all of a sudden. And it's like, yeah, give funny me your social how, security number. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, people do that too, but you know, <laughs> I think there's this thing where it's like, we, the more commonplace this form of payment has become, the mm-hmm. easier these kinds of frauds become to perpetrate because they don't, trigger anything in a lot of people that say like huh this is weird in a way that like i don't know whether it's a certified check or someone told you to show up at a street corner with you know uh, a series of non-sequential dollar bills you would be like that's a weird request why why are you asking me for this if you're on the up and up so i don't know that's the end of my speculation about our horrible digital age um except for the parts of it that allow us to publish this content yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, far fewer red flags these days, it seems. Yeah. Well, they're just harder to see. They, they blend harder in with to see. the red everywhere else around us. That's true. Nice way to put it. <laughs> I try from time to time. <laughs> well, ending on that note, uh, Zach, I hope you have a great weekend. Yeah. And we'll have a, a podcast of some kind on Monday. A special pod on Monday yeah. for everybody. Special one way or another. We'll figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be here. I'll be here at a minimum. Yes. There will be something. Yeah. All right. <laughs> All right, Jordan. Take care. Sounds great. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast, the flagship podcast of the Vine Pair Podcast Network. If you love listening to this show, or even if you don't, but I really hope that you do, as much as we really do love making it, then please drop us a review or a rating wherever it is that you get your podcast, whether that be iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher anywhere. If you are listening to this on a device right now through an app, however you got this audio, please drop a review. It really helps everyone else discover the show. And now for some totally awesome credits. So the Vine Pair podcast is recorded in our New York City headquarters and in Seattle, Washington in Zach Chabal's basement. It is recorded by Zach, mastered and produced by Zach. He loves all the credit. Keep giving it to him. Drop his name in the reviews. He's going to love hearing how much you love him. It is also recorded in New York City by our tastings director, Keith Beavers, who is the managing director of the entire VinePair Podcast Network. I'd also love to give a shout out to our editor-in-chief, Joanna Sherino, who joins us on every single podcast as our third and most important host. Thank you as well to the entire VinePair staff and everyone who's been involved in making VinePair as special as it's become. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week.